0: Hello everyone and welcome to Witch Hassle. I'm so pleased to have you here. I am your host Vincent Victor Roche and I am so pleased to be bringing you another wonderful episode of the podcast today. I'll be talking to T. Susan Chang about her new book, The Living Tarot, which is kind of a a workbook, textbook uh, build your own path through the forest of meaning, kind of tome. A lovely thing, great conversation. We talked about tarot, we talked about uh, Tisoos and Chang's approach to magic as well, the way that magic and tarot get to play little games with each other. Really beautiful stuff with some wonderful insights. You may be wondering, Cooper. Um, wait, not Cooper, uh, Vincent Victor Roche, uh, whatever my name is. Where, where has Witch Hazel been? It's been a bit. And, uh, I, I accept your veiled criticism. And I, I must say that what has been happening is I've been finishing grad school, but as of today, I'm actually skipping the ceremony more or less as we speak because I did not want to go. I am now officially a Masters of Social Work haver. So that's where I I've basically been tying up those loose ends and now they're tied up and now here's witch hassle isn't that fun coming back for a summer of frolic and mischief and learning and um other positive things uh fill fill in the blank for me because uh, tell, tell me what you want you know give me your desires let them have free reign here in the realm of imagination that is witch hassle so we've got a great show today um no other big announcements i shouldn't think uh oh yes so um on june the 9th i am going to be teaching a class for the cauldron black on bibliomancy it's gonna be less i I think of a class the format's more sort of like the great alexander cummins uh a guest upon this show Uh, is going to be putting questions to me about Bibliomancy and I'm going to be answering them as best I can but I am of course preparing for it as though it were a class so I imagine what will happen is he will activate some little bit of knowledge and then suddenly I'm just going to vomit out a bunch of things at him uh, that are hopefully useful to everyone including myself so please do check that out there will be a link to where you can buy tickets in the show notes and actually speaking of links there are links to where you can buy T. Susan Shanks new book also in the show notes. Check it out. It is very good. All right, so without further ado, tadoo, madu, madude. Without further, my dude, here's T. Susan Chang. T. Susan Chang is a tarot reader, teacher, and the author of Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, 36 Secrets, A Deconic Journey Through the Minor Arcana of the Tarot, And along with Mel Moline, a brilliant esotericist and friend, also living in Western Massachusetts, the co-author of Tarot Decipher, Decoding Esoteric Symbolism in Modern Tarot, and Mel and T. Susan Chang also were the hosts of Fortune's Wheelhouse, which is a podcast that I liked very much. So here's that chat. Please enjoy. I'm sure it's fine.
1: I find it difficult. I mean, I have Mercury in Virgo and Sun in Virgo, and I, I, Mercury in Pisces is the only time. I'm fine with Mercury retrograde. Mercury in Pisces is always difficult for me. Mm. So, but fortunately, it's fast. We're going through in two weeks this time. So, Okay. What are, what are some like
0: Mercury in Pisces specific difficulties you run into?
1: Not being able to find the fucking word. Mm,
0: Okay. Yeah, like everything's a little too It's like out there.
1: It's like, you know, it feels like you should be able to read my mind, but (laughs) it's not coming out the mouth.
0: (laughs) Astrological aphasia. I love it. Yes. Nice. (laughs) Incredible. Um, Well, so thank you so much for being on. And there's so much to talk about with this new book. But before we get to that, in 2014, almost a decade ago, You wrote an article from PR about your first forays into sous vide cooking.
1: (laughs) Where are you on
0: that now?
1: (laughs) Sous vide? I I will use sous vide as necessary, basically. You know, there are times when I, I just think of it as a time saver and a sort of labor saver. So like... For example, once a year I make July 4th fried chicken and July 4th, it's usually like July 39th or (laughs) July 46th, but I I like to make fried chicken, but there's an issue with the frying the chicken that it doesn't get cooked all the way through. So what I'll do is I'll like sous vide it in the marinade, you know, and bring it up to temperature and hold it there at like 150 and then fry it kind of a thing. So I do it, you know, or I'll like sous vide some pork belly and then I'll torch it with a propane blowtorch because that works really well too. So it's just like, you know, whatever seems to save me some trouble and, um, and get me what I need. So it's, it's not a, it's not a particularly high tech thing. I I don't even have like a proper circulator. I just have like a temperature regulator that attaches to my slow cooker. It's very low tech, but you know, (laughs) it works. Okay. That's cool. Um, that is not the question I was expecting you to lead with.
0: (laughs) I just wanted to make sure we, we <laughs> talked about it. I think it's important.
1: Yeah, I kind of miss doing those kinds of articles. Yeah, That was a period in my life when I was doing a lot of work for NPR. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, now I still do cookbook reviews at the end of the year. But there was a wonderful, you know, series called Kitchen Window that I got to write for for a few years. And I really enjoyed that. That's great. Yeah. You sh-
0: do you feel like you're going to go back to trying to do more? Because I mean, like, I, you must be so busy with all the tarot <laughs> stuff. I mean, because you're also doing the podcast you also you're teaching that class at I Smith. Think, yeah. Yeah. So like, even um, now. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know if you, how do you even find the time for all, because I mean, well, you, like, you're coming you know, from like a client session too, just now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just did two readings. It's, it's, you know, it's funny because I'm very much like my job is so scattershot. I do like, I have about eight jobs, but they're all quite small. So I just kind of go from one to the other and, you know, um, do what needs to be done. Uh, it's if I had eight full time jobs, obviously that would never work. <laughs> but you know, everything I do is just a little bit, and then that way, if something fails, then you know, then I make it up on the other end with something else, and uh, or I'll do a little bit of promotion here to bulk up this side, and it's just kind of a I never bored.
0: <laughs> mm, all the plates need a little touch, so they keep spinning.
1: Exactly, just a little spin from time. That's
0: to time. really. That's interesting, because I always think of freelance work as being very, um, you know, having done freelance while I was in grad school. I mean, well, yeah. I'm, saying, I'm saying in the past tense, I'm still last semester. But like, <laughs> like, it always felt like very precarious, like it was very feast or famine. But it sounds like you found a way to really build up some stability through having a bunch of different little jobs.
1: Well, it seems to be working out that way. I, you know, I try not to take it for granted. And I have always, you know, I'm married. So I had a partner with a stable income until he retired. So, you know, so I never had like, that, I'm walking the edge of a cliff feeling around mm, it, you know, yeah. there was always going to be health insurance. So you know, I don't take that for granted. But, um, but I feel quite lucky that I've been able to kind of just like follow all of my crazy little instincts and do one thing and then another and You know, and and what's really fun about it is that sometimes what I can do is, you know, kind of I have a planetary hour tracker on my phone. So, you know, it's it's Mercury hour and I'll do some writing and then it's Venus hour or it's Venus, then Mercury, Venus hour. I'll do some perfuming, Mercury hour, do some writing, you know, and just kind of Sun hour, do some divination. And it's just kind of I get to go from one thing to the next. And then when Saturn hour comes around, I clean. (laughs) Incredible. <laughs> I love that.
0: Yeah, like it It has sort of, I don't know, doing the freelance life show, it's felt like I just need to light a lot of candles to St. Hedwig to keep the, the wheels from falling off every day.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: Actually, so that's interesting that like, so you associate the sun with divination.
1: It's one thing, you know, I mean, it's sort of like, sure, sun, there's like many arguments for divination you can make for different planets. Sun is one of them but um Mercury's another, it's a moon's another, you know, it just depends yeah. on how you look at it.
0: Okay. Actually, since we're talking about all the other things you do, right. Cause you do fortune's wheelhouse with uh, Mel Moline, I hope which I'm is
1: now that. kind of in retirement. It's sort of like, all I do is support it by, you know, I'll, I'll put new episodes, introductions on it, but not new episodes. It is in the archive era, as we say, okay. but I want to make sure that it's available to everybody. Because people are, you know, repeat, listen to it all the time. So, so yeah, so there's the podcast, there's the books. I'm always writing a book. Usually there is the course, the online course, which the book is a version of. There are readings. There is sewing. I make tarot case. There are perfumes. There's cookbook reviews and there's the class at Smith called writing about the senses. I might be missing something, but that's what comes to mind at the moment.
0: Right. But I mean like so you do you do you did you did do there's, you know, it's happening and it also happened, the podcast. And then you were doing something with Jack Grail.
1: Oh yeah, it's Jack, of course. Sorry, Jack. And s-
0: so and, yes, <laughs> and I'm just wondering, like, how important is collaboration for you? Because I feel like tarot can feel like a lonely art, right? Someone comes to yeah. you for answers, and suddenly you're alone. You're in the spotlight of being like, oh, I got to tell, I am the only one who can tell you anything right now. Oh but no, like, not at how all. How does it feel like working yeah. with other people? How important? I is
1: that? I love it. I mean, the thing is that like writing especially is lonely. You know, writing is is the worst, right? But we do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah no I I enjoy collaboration and I actually think of readings themselves as collaborations they're really much more conversations than anything else I think that you know a reading doesn't happen in a vacuum it's you know some some current that gets set up between the need of the person coming to and the desire to help that you know creates this thing but um, but yeah no I, I I like collaboration it's it's uh, I wish I did more of it but I I, I try. I, I try to. It's just that I, I'm such uh, you know, uh I'm I'm a recovering control freak, <laughs> I guess is the way to put it. And I try very hard to have a good mix of things where I work with people and things where it's completely all under my own sovereignty, right? Mm. So I mean, and, and tarot itself is a form of letting go, I think, isn't it? You know, divination is a form of surrender to some degree. So I That's... think that, yeah, I mean, as opposed to something like writing where it's, you know, every single thing. Although I think, you know, I was looking at your website and I think you found ways to combine the two <laughs> in a way.
0: I, I mean, I do like the idea of writing as a as a, a kind of channeling sometimes. But yeah, that actually kind of brings me to something I want to ask you about, which is that I think a lot of people when they first start reading the tarot, they just think they're reading the cards. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people get to a point where they have to ask themselves, okay, what is talking when the cards are talking to me?
1: Yeah.
0: But so for you, what is talking when the cards speak?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I have a whole sort of chapter on that in the book. It's, I think, who you're going to call, I think is what it's called. <laughs> and, you know, because I think there's a lot of ways that people are nervous about tarot because they're not sure what's on the other end or, you know, or, there are some people who think that it might be channeling some kind of spirit who may not have your best interests at heart. No. But I, what I tell people, sort of at the outset, is that it's constructive to, you know, think of think of the person you're talking to in tarot as kind of the the best version of yourself. You know, just as a for argument's sake, right? I mean, and I I think that many people experience uh, the spirit of tarot as this kind of wry hermetic sassy you know <laughs> creature and i think that that's true too but i also think that we all have that inside us as well but in terms of like talking about a you know non denominational outlook with the cards i think it's helpful to just think of it as you know the the version of yourself that wants to help and make things better and mm. That seems to be a good working premise. You know, I don't want to claim to know who that is on the other end, but but that seems to work pretty well. Okay,
0: that seems like a good... It's interesting because I feel like, you know, given your familiarity with Golden Dawn...
1: Mm, yes.
0: Like, do you feel like you're... Because that sounds sort of like a holy guardian angel kind of, mm-hmm. sure. Kind of thing. sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely a way to think about it. I have not done the Abramelin operation, so... Mm, but who has um, the time <laughs> who has the time honestly and i don't even like the smell of cinnamon frankly really <laughs> it's not my favorite i'm okay with it but it's not my favorite but uh my my i think that it's good to think about you know you as being not just sort of a person who's bound by linear space and time but that each of us has you know kind of an eternal fraction of ourselves as well And I think that by, um, you can conceive of that as the holy garden angel, you can conceive of it as what the Jungians would call a self with a, you know, capital S, you can, there's a number of ways to think about it. But the important thing is that you realize it's there for at least the duration of the time that you're trying to do the reading.
0: Yeah, that's great. So in terms of like, getting in touch with that self i feel like that ties into some extent with the fact that because this book i think feels like permission and practice in becoming a more intuitive reader mm-hmm. than people are used mm-hmm. to doing and i think a lot of people when they first start reading out they want an authoritative set of meanings they want to feel like yeah. they know what they're doing because it feels like that's a way to be right and to know yeah. they're right and i was wondering like how like what did it like did you go through that similar process of like memorizing meanings and then finding your own and like when did it feel right that you would sort of figured it out
1: (laughs) it's ongoing cooper okay okay okay. (laughs) i mean i think that it's a gradual process uh you know but i wouldn't say there's a moment where it clicked but sort of uh gradually became more confident and more aware i mean the thing is that yes i I promote the idea that we can read intuitively as opposed to memorizing meanings, but it comes from the place, it comes from a point of view where I think of each reader as an expert on their own life, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not entirely just sort of, you know, riffing or intuiting, it's fairly data-based, the first thing that I teach people to do in the course and in the Living Tarot book is to draw a card of the day. And not everyone does this, but to me, it's fundamental because what's going to happen is that over the course of days, weeks, months, years, you receive an incredible amount of data of, you know, hard evidence as to what that card how it wants to show up in your life and some of it's going to be ways that you expect it and some of it's going to be like out of nowhere and you will only know because it keeps happening every single time you draw that card that mm. this is one of the things that this card wants to tell you personally so to me it's about deriving a personal language of the cards that is based in reality not just your imagination right
0: that's really cool do you so do you like I mean, I I feel like a lot of people would treat the the card of the day as like a as a kind of beginner's practice, like the beginning. Right. Something. Like, do you do? Do you still do it? Oh, still- I
1: do every single day. Would you like to see? Well, you can't see on the audio, but I'm going to. I can show you my spreadsheet. The uh, I've been tracking with. I would say I would. I've been tracking continuously since 2015, but off and on before that. So when I was doing card of the day before that, I would just sort of write it in my diary, which I've kept since I was like 12. And that, then I would just like have the data, which I'm still working through. But nowadays, nowadays I draw two cards as part of a ritual praxis in the morning. And I do a spell to try and make, (laughs) make it, make it come to life in whatever way. I'm laughing because I got Ten of Swords again today. Ten of Swords <laughs> and Seven of Swords. This is Ten of Swords. I've gotten eight times this year. It's just off the charts. Cool. But um yeah, and so so basically I use that practice as sort of fuel for a conversation between what might be and what actually is. Right. So so I have ideas about what that draw is going to mean, and that will go into my spell to some extent. And then the draw the cards and I will converse over the course of the day and negotiate what it actually is going to mean, which is sometimes what I expect and sometimes not. And sometimes, you know, just completely out of the blue. I mean, one of my favorite ways to look for meaning in the cards is um, by seeing how it shows up in the content I consume. Like the other day, I got the eight of wands as one of my cards. The other was the eight of swords, I think. No, eight of discs. And it was the eight of wands. And one of the things that happened was that I was driving along, listening to a podcast. And what was the podcast about? It was about an Australian man who mailed himself home, (laughs) which I thought was like, such a delightful way of showing up for that card, right? Yeah.
0: Could you could you go in like this ritual and the spell work sounds really interesting could you go into like kind of the mechanics of is oh, it like yeah. the same spell like every day or does it oh, of, no. oh no oh no every day thing?
1: it's prompted by the cards yeah it's a two line spell so basically you know my practice is you know everybody's practice is their own thing it grows organically I I think that you know you can kind of magpie-like cobble from different traditions, but for me, it's kind of a mix of ancestor stuff, planetary stuff, and tarot. So for me, I do sort of my own version of the LBRP, you know, when you, um, Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram, when I start, I situate myself at the center of the universe and in the four directions kind of a thing. And then depending on the day, you know, I have perfume, incense, correspondence based you know stuff on the altar depending on which planet is in charge you know today being the sun and then after that i fire off a couple orphic hymns just to keep them fresh on sunday i do uh the hymn to ocean just because it's the only place it could, i could fit it in my in my rotation and the hymn to helios those two hymns in greek and then i do um oh and i and i also Say the uh, the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus, the Isaac Newton version. I find that that's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance for occultists. So, <laughs> so I really enjoy saying that every every morning. It's it has a really wonderful sort of distillation of this whole above below within without thing that we do in divination. Mm. So so I always say that, and then um, and then I talk to the ancestors for a while. I've drawn the cards. They're face down. I draw two cards every day. They're face down. And then I talk to the ancestors for a while. And depending on what's going on in life, that can take a long time or a short time. And then after that, I go through sort of a catechism of my own, which has to do with divination and with the, um, with, I guess, my view of fate. I think if I have a religion at all, you know, I've described myself as an acolyte of fortune. I have 10 wheels of fortune on my office wall. I, you know, think of myself as a person who is apprenticed to fate at some at some level. Mm. So um, so I have this sort of catechism that I go through. And then I look at the cards and I write a spell based on the cards, which is, so you know, sometimes correspondence based. Sometimes it's an ask. You know, sometimes there's a thing I need to do. It's always only two lines because I need to be able to memorize it and carry it around with me during the day. Today's was, let's see, I had Seven of Swords and Ten of Swords. (laughs) This one's nerdy. Uh, eternal kingdom for your sake. I scheme and steal. I die and wake. Uh, eternal kingdom. This one's nerdy because it's the seven and the ten. The seven is the uh, corresponds to Netzach on the Tree of Life. One of the names for Netzach is eternity, and the ten corresponds to Malkut, which is kingdom. Eternal kingdom is what that's about. You know, and sometimes I'll throw in the path between them, but um, yeah. Yeah, so, and sometimes I do tarot arithmetic with them, um, you know, uh, I was thinking of doing something with the three of swords, since that's the difference between seven of swords and 10. And then I decided not to. But, um. but anyway, but that's the kind of thing I do, I carry around this spell, and, uh, and I will see how it shows up. And if I feel nervous about the 10 of swords, I will do sympathetic magic, you know, I'll go buy 10 needles, or I'll go uh uh stab something 10 times, you know, whatever it takes to to come to terms with the card. Oh. And uh, and then at the end of the day, I kind of sit down with the spreadsheet and see what happened and see what the synchronicities were. And then it's done. However, I can go back in the spreadsheet and, you know, and say, pull up all the times that I've gotten Ten of Swords. And I'll look at it and, I'll, and I now know that there's all these ways that it shows up that are not scary at all, but are just kind of part of life right?
0: That is incredibly cool. I also, <laughs> I also love the idea of like, because I'm so used to, I think because I'm coming from like, kind of like a hoodoo playing card magic background. Yeah. I'm very used to the idea of like, what do you do to ameliorate a scary card is yeah. you, you do the opposite. You like mm. you, you like, mm. you like turn the seven of, of spades into a seven of diamonds.
1: Ah, I see.
0: Yes. But yes, like nice. you, this move of like, um, shunting off the ten of swords into like an acceptable like target or receptacle, right?
1: Yeah, triggering it sort of, you know, yeah setting it off. <laughs> yeah, you're doing
0: the controlled demolition.
1: Exactly. You're it's the bomb yes. squad. It's a uh, my exactly, bomb squad. Bomb squad. That's exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, it means you're listening to an abridged version of this podcast. If you want to hear the full version of this episode and the full version of a bunch of other episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash witchhassle and support the show at the $5 a month tier. You'll be helping me to keep doing this and you'll be getting even more of these fun insights from people like to Susan Chang. It's really, I, I'd say it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Also there's like bonus stuff I'm gonna start doing. It's gonna be, it's gonna be grand. Also, this is sort of relevant to something that came up that comes up later, but did you know that the director of Die Hard with a Vengeance served a prison sentence related to some wiretapping stuff? Wild. Wild. Anyway, here's the rest of the interview with T Susan Chang. I do hope you enjoy. Yeah. So when you're when you're coming up with these rituals, like it's interesting, because like that the bracelet, right? You had sigils for specific wishes, but then it sounds like it became more generalized to so just like that is the wish.
1: That's wish- my wish bracelet. Yeah, yeah, yes. it's both and, you know, it's sort of like, what is happiness to me? It's a combination of all these different things of these nine different things that if they all come to be, or if, even if some of them come to be, I'm happy, right? Okay, yeah. so when you
0: do these rituals, are they are they for sort of like specific material ends? Or is it more kind of this generalized, almost like? Changing your outlook, changing yourself, kind of thing. You
1: know, it's interesting, and I think that you've probably experienced this with several of your guests. That you know, and maybe yourself as well. In the beginning, it was almost always material ends, right? And now, it's less so. It's less so. You know, I mean, I've certainly done job, you know, stuff to get a job or to like, you know, be successful on X, Y, or Z. Um, now, it tends to be more about a a place I want to get to as a person mm. kind of a thing, you know? And I'm not ruling out the fact that I may well, you know, do some very results oriented, you know, much more hoodoo like magic at some point. But at the moment, I'm not quite in that place. Actually one of my one of my hopes is to kind of figure out what the tarot equivalent of all sorts of different kinds of image magic is. I did this whole thing last year for the Omega Institute on um, on different forms of image magic that translate into tarot. So I sort of thought about like, you know, what would it look like to do uh, a tarot spell that was like a hoodoo spell? What would it look like to do a tarot spell that was like planetary magic, which is, of course, closer to what? what I do all the time. What would it look like to do a tarot spell that was like the PGM? You know, and kind of going through all these different methodologies and saying, what does this look like in tarot? So that's that's ongoing. That's interesting to me to kind of do ways of thinking of uh, the imagery of tarot as similar talismanically to image magic of traditions past.
0: That makes sense, right? I mean, because you talk about yeah. the idea that the entire world is kind of in the tarot deck. So like it makes yeah. sense the tarot deck could be could correspond to everything, including like old, older forms of magic, other forms of magic, that sort of thing.
1: Right, right. I mean, I mean, all magic has some things in common, right? There are uh, symbol, symbolic representations, there's intentions, there's uh, energy building, you know, and why not use tarot in the same way? Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so there's something I want to talk to you about I want to make sure we get to. And I, I do want to talk about the book specifically at some point. Because we I do feel like we are promoting the book. So we should talk about the book. But before we get there, and this is in the book, so you know, we're getting there. Second. Weird. Yeah, yeah. But I want to talk about uh reverse cards. Because mm. I think they give a lot of people the heebie jeebies, or Absolutely. it makes them feel like I don't know, they're like, Oh, there are all these cards in the deck, but I gotta learn two sets of meaning I I and this deck. That's oh my god. So like yeah. so like. What what is the case for reading reverse meanings, even though it's hard? And like, yeah. what, is your, what is your approach to it? Is it is it as simple as being like, well, this this card means one thing, and then you flip it, and it means a different thing, or is it like, <laughs> like, what is like, how do you how do you go about
1: it? Yeah, you know, um, I I definitely don't do it as uh, in the sort of uh, upside down is opposite way, which a lot of people do, and I I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but for me, um. I find that that kind of constricts my brain a little bit. I don't. I don't find it. It works for me. So I tend to think of upside down cards as being, you know, a version of the card as I would perceive it upright, but but with an asterisk next to it. You know, kind of a shades of gray kind of a thing rather than being black and white. Um, and or liminal. You know, like for example, I'll think that the 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 card is uh is coming into being or it is passing out of being or it appears to be there but it isn't or it really is there but it doesn't appear to be or it's internal rather than external and i think that i love reversals because when i think about them that way it makes me feel as though the you know they the cards better express the the nuances of normal life. I mean, we don't really live life in black and white. We kind of live life in innumerable shades of gray. And I feel that reversals help to capture that. That's one of the things I think about reversals. And another thing is that, you know, directionally with a deck like Rider-Waite-Smith, you know, to turn the card upside down, means it's looking in the other direction. you know. <laughs> so, oh, you, know, it's, yes. you know, it's looking that, that way instead of that way. And what's over here that's so interesting? Let's put a card there, you know, or let's see what mm. else in the spread is over there. Or maybe that's looking towards the future instead of looking at the past. So, you know, I, I often use the cards in that way because I think the body language of the cards is a wonderful resource for harvesting meaning. So um so reversals are great great for that as well. You know so I I think that and it's not necessarily the case I think that you can't use the opposite meaning. I think you know what I think about each card is that they express a really huge spectrum from you know positive things to negative things but a lot of the time they simply raise the topic right? So if you get the, you know, if you get a card upside down, sometimes it just means this is really on your mind, you know, for some reason or another. And so if you get the strength card and it's upside down, maybe your health is really on your mind. Maybe that's because you're sick. So yes, it could mean the opposite, right? But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be because I find that is not helpful. And in fact, I find that, you know, Blurring, recognizing that positive and negative uh, manifestations exist along a spectrum is a really great way to deal with life's vicissitudes, right? That, that yes, that Ten of Swords could be something that I'm not really prepared to deal with, but it could also mean that I finished my grading and today is the first day of vacation, which it actually is. So, I think it pays to be aware at all times of what what the potential of a given card is. And I think that maybe one thing about reversals is that that potential is less defined, that maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you get more say in it. Maybe there's more leeway, more leverage, which is a good thing.
0: That's great. I love especially like leaving that space open for this might not be a reality. This might just be an anxiety. Mm-hmm. In the mm-hmm. cards, because like it's so easy, I think, to never allow anything to be a coincidence when you get into this work. And like some things mm-hmm. are very meaningful and some things are not. Like I had a recent experience where I was uh I like lit a candle to a spirit, and then like later that day somebody said something that like like they like they keyworded that spirit. Oh
1: like, yes. And I was like, yes, I don't happens. know. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how
0: to interpret this. Like, and so I went back to the spirit. I was like, is this did that mean something? Or is that just a coincidence? And I got back, (laughs) that's a coincidence. That had nothing to do with me. I was like, oh, okay, cool.
1: Right. 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 It was one of fate's smaller children. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's fantastic. And I think, I don't know, to me, it's sort of like, it works both ways, you know, sometimes I'll read a reversal and I'll, and I'll say, you know, like say it's the five of pentacles reverse, which I, which I know is um, a variety of different things, including, you know, being really late because of traffic, but also, you know, maybe doing some ceremonial magic and ritual. There's something about that in that card. It's a bunch of different things. So I'll do my spell and I'll write something about magic or ritual. And then at the end of the, you know, in the in middle of the afternoon, I'm sitting locked in traffic and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> right? Fine. <You> know? <laughs>
0: God, yeah. So much of magic is just going. Ah, oh, fine. <laughs> I accept this.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> this book is very cool, and something that I think differentiates it from, say, something like your book on the on the Deccans, mm-hmm. is is there's so much space in this book for the reader to build the text along with you. Like, there's so much space right. to write in the book to turn this into a kind of. I guess, would you would you see it as a collaboration on the text? Or would you see absolutely. it as- Absolutely,
1: absolutely. This is, um, so this is really the book version of my online course. And everything that's in here is an exercise that you would do in the online course. The difference is that, of course, with the online course, you get feedback from me. There's a monthly meeting. If you graduate, you get a reading from me. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes with that. But with this, it is basically a way, we decided we wanted it to, to be like a workbook. We wanted it to be something you felt like you could write in, carry it with you, you know, go back to it, flip back and forth. So I really love the design that Llewellyn came up for this. It feels friendly. It feels not too big, like something that you can, you know, just make your own. So I, I, I I think that that is important. I mean, it is the living tarot and, you know, and at the end of the book, they asked me to write a little bit of a, you know, a story about, how I got into tarot. And I, and the first thing I say is, you know, this book is about you, not about me. Hopefully, when you get to the end of this book, you know, it will be filled with your adventures, your experiences, things that happen to you. And not only is it a record of your experience reading tarot, but it's a record of your life and who you are. So this is good. This is meant to be a treasure and a keepsake, you know, for you, future you, and maybe who knows your kids, whatever. But, you know, but as a person who has compulsively journaled my entire life, there is something precious about capturing the moment of, you know, of, of pouring yourself into a written form and then having a record of it that you have forever. So I hope that people take it that way. And I hope that they use it that way and enjoy it and keep it forever.
0: I love that idea of like this becoming not just like, you know, a, a way to figure some stuff out or something, but like mm-hmm. you become you prepare yourself to become an ancestor.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's something I I want this book to be sort of a um a friendly tarot grimoire for people. You know? Incredible.
0: Um actually, there's a so like you have this this seemingly daily ancestral practice that is tied in at least chronologically with the tarot.
1: The daily tarot
0: mm. practice. Do you yeah. do you have like sort of a strong sense of like tarot ancestors? Are there are there you know? Do yeah. the dead whisper to you in the <laughs> reading room?
1: Well, you know, um, that's interesting. I I mean, I I feel like the whole the whole ritual is like this bizarre Frankenstein thing of all, you know, all things I've been interested in my whole life and stuff that I've just acquired, you know, it's Western magical, but it's also Greek because I've been studying Greek since I was like 16. And, you know, and there's my ancestors and then there's tarot. It's like, it doesn't even make any sense, but it makes sense to me. And, uh, you know, and at one point I finally moved my altar out of my bedroom because apparently that's terrible. So I moved it to the northeast corner of my house to a different room and uh, separated the altar so that my ancestors had their own thing and the planetary altar was separate. And and I, I've i kind of said to the ancestors, look, this is a weird thing that I do. But if you can, you know, if I'm your child and if you need to communicate with me, this is something we can use. And I, when I specifically asked that, they've been willing to you know, use the cards to speak with me. And in fact, when I, you know, when I do the draw, I basically say, you know, let us see what, what this day has to offer and what we can make of it. And I say that in the plural, because I think of myself as not really singular, but plural, myself and my ancestors, myself and my greater self with a capital S. So, um, so they're there, they're, they're, you know, humoring me in whatever way that they do. But I often ask, since I'm not like the world's most psychic person, if I get a reading, I always ask about like my ancestors and whether there's somebody who did what I do, because I feel like there certainly isn't anybody within recent memory or in, you know, the parallel generations. So, uh, and apparently there are, there are. So it's enough for me to know that that's true. I'm, as I said, not psychic enough to get the specifics, but it's good enough to know that there are. (laughs)
0: That's really lovely. One of the exercises in the book that I really liked and I wanted to bring to the floor, because it feels ancestral in its way, mm-hmm. is, or actually it kind of feels like it pushes back against ancestral stuff now that I think about it. But anyway, segue. <laughs> we're doing segues. It's fun.
1: Um, I should take away
0: that because, because I don't know if there's causative relationship there. I want to like, be transparent about that. I'm just moving into it. We're, we're doing correlation because it comes after. Uh, so is, is working with Proverbs, like- yeah. And you sort of go from finding a proverb or, or choosing a proverb for each, or card. a
1: quotation, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yep. and then making one yourself. And I, yeah, and how do you feel about I think proverbial wisdom? Because I feel like there is a trap True. in the proverb that it can have this kind of just-so quality. Yeah, it can feel like getting bullied by tradition. Like I feel like people sometimes will quote proverbs as a way of not actually engaging with what's going on.
1: Yeah. Specifically. So how yeah. do you think about like
0: the liberatory or even, let's go too far, revolutionary practice of making up your own <laughs> proverbs?
1: Yeah, I think, I'm so glad that you said that. That's incredibly perceptive. I mean, it was intended as a subversive act, right? You know, uh, because proverbs are a um, exposure of the underbelly of belief, right? They, mm. they, they show what it is that we take for granted and, you know, and, and, and by correlating them with a card, we have a way of externalizing that and seeing it as the cartoon, literally, for of what it is, the caricature that it is. So to me, making up your own proverb <laughs> was a very, like, kind of Hermes thing to do and just saying, look, you know, you have an idea of what this might mean, but I can make up one too, you know, and I can make it sound like it's been here forever right? You know, and so I think that that's really um, useful. I think that that's healthy and useful to rethink what you see in the card, and perhaps frame it in a way that's more, uh, more bioavailable, right? So because you are an ancestor too. And Mm -hmm. at some point, someone may take that framing that you place on it and find that it's helpful to them. I mean, a lot of this has to do with that whole chapter is about belief and where it comes from, in some ways. And, you know, a lot of what we take for granted is actually negotiable. So one of the things I like to say about fate and free will is that, you know, it is constructive to use your illusion of free will to deal with your illusion of fate, which is just a way of saying that, like, you know, you can't You can't control everything, right? Not everything is written in stone, but you don't have total, you know, you can't just do anything either. It's somewhere in between. But it is good to um, borrow that feeling of empowerment that you get from the illusion of free will to face the circumstances that you receive, which appear to be immovable, right? It's healthy to, to do that, even though both are illusions. And I think that the proverb work is, you know, kind of based on that thinking
0: that is really cool because that is big so like um something about this idea of like the proverbs and like the power of them was making me think of that c Wright mills quote that uh prestige is the shadow of power and money
1: ah, um
0: but like yeah. yeah like the idea of like the shadow as actually just, like we're playing with shadows like we're, we're yes like we're all in plato's cave and we're all just messing around like we're all doing shadow puppets for ourselves to decide yeah
1: the yeah 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 right right Right, exactly. I mean, I know. I'm I'm looking at this ten of wands card, you know, which shows the man with his with his huge bundle of non ergonomically balanced sticks that he's got carrying in front of him. Yeah, his lumbar region is
0: going to be. Oh, it's the the worst. Terrible.
1: It's the worst. You know, I mean, and to me, this is like a perfect illustration of the proverb "Pride goeth before fall." Right? You could you could say that, but you know, but it could also be something else. I mean, it could, you could look instead at the community in the background, you know, and, and, and concentrate on that and say, you know, many hands make light work. You know, if you could just get those people to come out, it's going to be fine. You know, I mean, it's like, you can, you can reinterpret these images in any number of ways. I mean, not every way, but I always say that the, emperor is many things but he's not you know a basket of fluffy kittens
0: <laughs> right
1: but, but even then um, like a
0: card of like a problem is also a card that is giving you some kind of opportunity for yes a solution right like this is if this is the nature of the problem this is the the, the ameliorative thing that you have to come up with for it
1: right 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 it's true and you know and i think that i i think a lot about you know States of mind that are that are that are twins of each other, like you know, fear and excitement are very nearly the same thing, right? And what is it that flips that switch? And can you get control of it? And can you decide whether it's fear or excitement for yourself? You know, kind of a thing. So, and I think that tarot offers um, some of that same perfect perspectival agency um, in terms of facing your own life.
0: That's such a great perspectival (laughs) agency a lot of gems coming up today i'm feeling (laughs) Um,
1: i can't take credit for them it's just you know it's all word salad as far as i'm concerned when mercury is in pisces
0: (laughs) well i mean that's i mean that's always been my approach to it because i you know i don't like to talk about it on the program but i do write poetry a lot and like
1: yeah
0: um and i think like that idea of like Well, you just just got to say stuff, and then you hear yourself say it, and you decide whether or not it's right after that point.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. Exactly. That's why we have editing afterwards. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I feel like so we've we've been talking for quite some time, and I and I'm really appreciative Mm -hmm. of you taking the time. So I want to make sure I don't I don't hold you over long, but I want to make sure we get to. Is there anything here that I feel like we haven't talked about that we absolutely should before something? Before the 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 hammer falls on us and we are scattered <laughs> to the four winds. Um, okay. One last thing and then we'll get to the end. Okay. So, so like part of the, the, the organization of this book, part of the narrative is that you sort of break down the tarot backwards mm-hmm. and then you go forwards again. Mm-hmm. And like, what was the thinking behind the idea of like, we need to sort of back into it before we can actually, you know, take the one step back yeah. to go two steps forward or something like that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, So the thinking behind that is that, you know, what happens a lot of the time when people get a new deck is they crack the little white book, right? And they try starting to memorize these meanings, which is just hard. You know, it just doesn't make sense because you're, you're trying to learn it like you're, you know, on Duolingo trying to learn a language. It's not the same thing. And my belief is that you already you know the 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 substance of tarot is your life it's not something you don't know it's something you're the expert on something you're intimately familiar with so it's you know much easier to say you know you can look at the 3 of cups and you can be like oh it's supposed to be about it's called the lord of abundance it's supposed to be about mirth and bliss and you know the harvest or something but it's much easier rather than saying what does this look like in my life it's much easier to sort of say, like, you know, look around you. Maybe you have lunch with your friends that afternoon, right? What could that possibly be in tarot? And then you look at your cards and you're like, oh, it kind of looks like this. We literally raised our glasses to each other and toasted each other. It kind of looks like this. So, you know, it's so much easier to start with what you know and to work backwards. So, you know, I kind of tried to make it easier by, say, like taking... 10 very ordinary everyday events that might happen to anyone and then say, take these 10 number cards. Which one does this look like? Right. You know, and just sort of work backwards from there. I tried to make it as relatable as possible, because once you do that, once you get to the end of that process of tarot backwards, you should be able to like, you know, think about anything that's going on in life, like this conversation we're having and say, what is that in tarot? You know, to me, it's kind of um, two of pentacles like because there's, you know, this interchange across the distance. You're literally wearing headphones that look like two pentacles. You know, there's like a bunch of stuff that kind of adds up for me in there. And then, you know, and tarot forwards is kind of like, you know, creating correspondences of your own. So like the big sort of creative exercise in there is to ask you, you know, what is it that you know more about than anybody else that you know of? Like, is it Ninja Turtles? Is it, you know, is it, is it the Potterverse? Uh, Is it herbs and spices? Whatever it is, you know, uh, runes. Take that and make correspondences between that and a set of cards from the tarot, whether it's the 16 court cards or the 22 major arcana or the 40 minors or whatever it is, you figure it out and you correlate them because that's something, you know, inside out. So, you know, the whole point of that is to say you can make your own correspondences, you can build your own sort of lattice work on which meaning will gradually accrete. Right. That's great. I love that.
0: (laughs) Um, So I, I, this has been so good. And actually, there's one finicky little question I want to ask you. And sure. then we're done. Then we're done. Because okay. uh, you mentioned doing the uh, the Lester Banishing Rite of the, of the Pentacle every mm-hmm. morning. As someone who's not a Golden Dawn person by training, mm-hmm. I find that particular ritual very time consuming.
1: Yes. Is there yes, a way to it. do
0: it fast? Are you just taking <laughs> yeah, like a half hour? Yeah. Morning?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, you know, one thing you can do is basically that is a quarter calling, right? Basically, which all witchy traditions have. And as long as you're, you know, situating yourself within the directions and you could do it with the up and down as well, like Aiden Walker does, you know, four directions and then up and down for the six ways. You know, as long as you're doing that in whatever way makes sense to you, I think that that's that satisfies the requirements. It doesn't have mm. to be the formal ritual that the Golden Dawn came up with. And in fact, I think it's good to make it personal. I mean, mine started out very much like the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram, but now it's more like a song that I sing, you know, that probably mm. takes, you know, takes like two minutes. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah, and like- is very much based on the elements, you know, and just the awareness of what the elements feel like in the different... In the different directions. So, yeah, I think you can freestyle it. And I think that there's something to be said for actually doing that. It might be better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm sure like a lot of people don't necessarily have a strong relationship with the archangels of the four directions or whoever shows up in there. It's, I think that's who it is. Man, i okay, cool. I'm doubting myself. It's (laughs) correct. I love love to be exposed in public. I I welcome judgment. (laughs) Um, uh, So, thank you so much for being on. Before you go, just this tradition for the show, is there any last little anything that you want to leave people with a piece of advice a thought a nugget of gold and wisdom Hmm.
1: let's draw a card
0: hell yeah oh my
1: gosh (laughs) why don't you draw the card actually do you have a deck with you
0: uh not nearby okay actually we can edit it out too i can just wait i'll be right back okay
1: go get it yeah okay here we go okay
0: now here's the question: do i leave in the sound of all the shuffling <laughs> as an smr kind of thing. <laughs> okay, we've got ace of wands reversed.
1: Ace of wands reversed. All right. Okay. So, um did you breathe onto them? Is that what you were doing? Yeah. Nice. Nice. I like that practice. So, um So the ace of wands to me is such a profound card, you know, I think of it as being the the big yes. Uh, generally you know I, I once asked Tarot what is yes and what is no <laughs> since, <laughs> since Tarot can answer a lot of questions but it, it doesn't always come up with yes or no questions answers yeah. so I said what is yes and it was like ace of wands and I asked what is no and it said page of swords reversed which was interesting hmm. so um, which has become part of my practice now but um, for me ace of wands I think is particularly apt for us right here because literally each of us has a microphone you know Uh, and to me the ace of wands can be that the metaphorical microphone that all of us have you know the willingness to say something and to express it out in the world and to be creative that way and if it's upside down maybe it's just waiting to be picked up so you know so for anyone who's listening to this who may have been hesitant to pick up their own microphone Consider doing so now. (laughs) That's my nugget of wisdom.
0: (laughs) Mm, The time has come.
1: The time has come. Turn (laughs) your maybe into yes.
0: (laughs) Mm, The only one who can give you the permission to move forward is you. (laughs) Incredible. Okay. So if people want to learn more about you, they want to buy the book, they want to maybe book a reading, Where should they go? What should they do?
1: tsusanchang.com is kind of the central clearinghouse for everything. So uh, I also have an Etsy store. But I think the most important thing is for you to know that the website is there and you can contact me there, book readings, book mentorship, take a class, you know, lots of stuff is there. So tsusanchang.com.
0: Incredible. And I will direct people to that in the show notes. Can they buy the blanket?
1: They can, that's on Redbubble actually. If you um if you go redbubble.com and then just, you know, use the search box, nine of swords blanket by tarotista, which is my, you know, manufacturing name, tarotista, uh, you'll find it. Incredible. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being on. This was an absolute pleasure. This
1: has been such a delight. I could talk to you all day. It's really been a thrill. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Come back
0: anytime. Thank you so much to T. Susan Chang for taking the time and for those lovely insights. I will have links in the show notes to where you can learn more about her and her work and to where you can buy Living Tarot. It's out! Go get it. There will also be links in the show notes, or one link, there will be exactly a single link to where you can buy tickets to my class talk on Bibliomancy happening on June the 9th. Go do check that out i hope i hope to see you there you know something we were talking about in that conversation susan and i got me thinking about a particular theory of how emotion operates There, are are sort of competing ideas of like what are emotions from like a psychological standpoint what are they how do they work and one of them that's kind of interesting it felt sort of relevant right is this idea that one way that emotion might function is that you have a bunch of physiological symptoms that might be associated with emotion. Maybe your heartbeat increases, maybe your blood vessels constrict, maybe you start to sweat, maybe your your hair starts standing on end, something like that. And then your mind interprets those symptoms in the context of of whatever whatever other sort of phenomena it is also perceiving so for example your heart is beating really fast and you you perceive that there's also a wolf standing in front of you so your mind is like aha i'm afraid this is fear we're doing fear right now but then maybe in another situation your heart is beating really fast again but this time your mind perceives that you're watching a blu-ray edition of the 1995 film Die Hard with a Vengeance uh, featuring its, you know, fun uh, repartee between Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson and the sort of cameo uh, in in villainous roles of, of Sam Phillips and also a guy who looks like T-Bone Burnett but is not T-Bone Burnett but you would think is T-Bone Burnett because he's right next to Sam Phillips, the, the noted Uh, A singer-songwriter so like why is why is this guy who looks like T-bone Burnett not singer-songwriter T-bone Burnett? I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. Anyway, you but you're watching Die Hard with a Vengeance um, Which also has Jeremy Irons in it and your mind's like, okay, my heart is beating beating really fast It is because I am excited. I'm having a great time, you know, so the exact same physiological stimuli lust because we're just doing the one thing the heart beating fast and your mind is doing different appraisals and what emotional state You're supposed to be having right now based on this context. And I think we as dividers uh, Should really take that into consideration like because of course that, that that's a two-step process But as we experience it, it's not a two-step process. It's just a rush. Suddenly you're feeling things and So maybe taking a step back when we do our little readings and saying hey, okay, I've got these cards and The context that I'm focusing on is leading me to interpret these cards, right? The physiological stimuli of the cards uh, and the intellectual sort of context uh, is leading me to appraise these cards as meaning this one thing. And that's a two-step process. And remembering that can help us to think, okay, well, what other contexts might these cards, the stimuli, be situated in by which we might give them a different kind of meaning? right like you know because maybe those two things are happening at once maybe you look out the window there's a wolf you look forward there's the tv showing you die hard with a vengeance 1995 makes makes a lot of use in the music of a refrain from the answer marching the answer marching on which i imagine has some more formal title than that But which one of these is the organizing principle around which the cards are responding? And is it maybe a third thing? You know, uh, maybe I'm just dehydrated. Maybe that's why my heart is beating so fast. So, you know, a useful thing to think about, these questions of emotion. Because I think we think a lot with our emotions, perhaps more than we think we do. And on that somewhat convoluted note, this has been Witch Hassle. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to everyone who supports the program on the Patreon. If you want to support the show and if you want to listen to full versions of a bunch of these episodes including the one you listened to today with t susan chang by all means head over to patreon.com slash our theme music was performed by sebastian beifestam and recorded by edford lee good luck with the work ahead